Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. So please uh, join me in welcoming uh, Sarah Manguzo and Miranda July. Hello. Hi. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you. You too, so Miranda. Yes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> So I thought I would start by telling everyone how we met because I think it's a little bit relevant to this book. We have a a mutual friend, also a writer, named Sheila Hetty, and she told both of us, I have a writer friend who's also a woman, also 40, also with a two-year-old son. living in LA you guys should meet and at that moment at least for me at that moment in my life I was like done yeah like that's all I care about my best friend yeah in fact all my friends who are not 40 and don't have a two-year-old son like can just go fuck themselves because I that's all I care about um and and so the in a way I felt like um like there, we almost didn't need to say that much. We just needed to sit together with our sons, with our which sons. we did a lot of, yeah. um, just kind of coexisting in a slight state of shock and a, and a really keen awareness of time, both the ages that we s- suddenly felt we were um, and our sons' ages and our new motherhood. And, uh, and I think that's something we both share is trying to point at or somehow capture this this thing that you can't this um um time (laughs) is the thing i'm talking about uh and yeah so i I like the fact that we really met because of that that was kind of implicit in our meeting um i know that wasn't that long ago because yeah, now we're that was well we're, we just turned 40? 41 yeah we're 41 now it's like three days <laughs> yeah three days right. between our birthdays and um yeah so it was like a year ago yeah it's exactly a year yeah um so <coughs> um moving on i have a picture on my computer <coughs> oh um uh, of a piece of graffiti that's somewhere in the world that says time doesn't exist, clocks exist. Um, <laughs> it's a good one. And similarly, I, you know, time doesn't exist, diaries exist. And this is a, a book about a diary that you very smartly did not include within the book. Um, uh, but can you just, for the sake of housekeeping, can you just tell us a little bit about the diary. Was it a fascinating diary? Is that why you wrote this book? No, 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 no. No, the, the very point is that um, I had no interest in making it fascinating. So the, the book begins essentially as 
as it began in composition, which, which was as an essay about the problem of graphomania. And so I've, I've had this daily diary that I've kept for 25 years. I'm still keeping it. Um, and it arose from this terrible anxiety that somewhat subsided uh, around the time I became a mother, and that, that's essentially what the book is about. Um, but the diary itself um, is, you know, give or take, about 800,000 words long. And it was um, an attempt to, not to stop time or capture time, but, but as an attempt to accurately represent what had happened to me in a given day because I felt that it was irresponsible and somehow immoral to not endlessly analyze everything before the next day started. It just, it, I felt that if I didn't do it, I would go insane, which of course, you know, led to this insane behavior, um, and, you know, which eventually subsided upon motherhood approximately. And, and, in doing this, you also realize that so much of time is empty moments, actually, like impossible to record. Can you describe that exercise you would do with your students that I so love? Oh, oh yeah, thank you. Uh, I was teaching writing. I, you know, I generally am teaching writing. And um, an exercise that I always used to do uh, that kind of became very important as I was coming to terms with the fact that I, that I couldn't possibly keep on keeping this diary is that I made my students sit for 20, 30, depending on, you know, if they're undergrads or graduates, like 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes, just not in like a yoga way, not in a meditation way, just to sit around the table and to st- just endure endure having nothing happen and then to write about it and um, when I was teaching at Pratt this art school in New York um, you know the photocopy room was in a different building so I'd like sit and make them sit and then we would you know the timer would go off and then we would write and we we were allowed five sentences a piece that had to be absolutely accurate and um, and I would get everything and run to the photocopy room and then run back and it just it Everything about the experience felt as if I, it was just another way of utterly failing to capture the, this empty time. But right. that was the best that I could do, though, that exercise. Right. I love picturing you running back. Like, if you do it quick enough, if you yeah. get back quick enough, you will yeah. have, like, gotten now, right. that moment now. <laughs> um, and then I thought it was so interesting that... Um, is this right, that what... Um, I don't know how many of you are in therapy, but sort of what what triggers what triggers that? Why do you go for the first time is always interesting to, to me. And for you, yeah. um, you know, I guess <clears throat> a breakup for you at that time during this this time in your life um, felt like those memories were being lost, like those shared memories. Yeah, they were being expunged. I mean, this is right. you know perhaps this is a quality of clinical narcissism but I just thought you know if half of the experience is is housed in this you know this this physiological thing this this brain um, I can no longer I can no longer control whether that's still going to exist and so it it was just this this worry that I I never really I never really got to the bottom of that it was one of those things in therapy that I just had to kind of you know let go 
But you did, in a way, get to the bottom of it in the sense that you got married. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not, it's yeah, not makes, like a foolproof solution, yeah. but it is sort of like this agreement that we're going to hold these memories forever uh-huh. together. Yeah, um, I wish I had thought of that. that that's brilliant. <laughs> I, I would have gotten married probably like <laughs> 17 years yeah. Yeah, earlier. Um, can you actually read that section? Oh, it's, yeah. it's one of my favorite parts of the book. Oh. Um, it's uh, page 25. Okay. Mm. Just that page. Okay. Oh, I, is, is it the same in both? That has the river. It, uh, yeah. Okay. So it starts with the word during. Oh, I'm on the wrong page myself, so. <laughs> yes, is yes, yes. During the first few years of my marriage, I was highly susceptible to the previous day. I was convinced the marriage would soon be over, but it wasn't over. The problem was my inability to experience it as ongoing. A friend wrote, Marriage isn't like having a boyfriend or girlfriend, but a little more so, any more than gold is helium, but a little more so. The inner shell of electrons fills, and then the next one goes into the next shell, changing everything. Marriage isn't a fixed experience, it's a continuous one. It changes form, but it is always still there, a rivulet under a frozen stream. Now, when I feel a break in the continuity of till death do us part, I think to myself, get back in the river. Yeah, I think that get back in the river thing is a really handy marriage tool. Good. (laughs) Well, just that sentence. Um, Because... uh, it's not like getting out of the river. To me, that doesn't mean like infidelity or something. It's that you've um, you've stopped uh, you've stopped doing the thing that allows it to be continuous, um, and you have you've to paused it. Yeah, right. And it, yeah, and the the whole energy of it, like all the, its power and magic, comes from its continuity, not not from it being like good or bad or everything being resolved or any of that. So just stay on the river. Okay. So I feel like that's a good takeaway. If anyone, I, now honestly, I I I wish that um, that that this book could be perceived universally as like a useful book, not as a beautiful book or, you know, like a clever book. But I I really wrote it (coughs) to share this existential problem that I'd been having and, you know, to share what what it was like when it went away. And and so in making the book, I was hoping that, you know, maybe maybe you all are doing exactly the same thing that I was doing. Um, and, And maybe if you, you know, read it, you won't have to do it anymore. <laughs> Actually, let me, since we are facing outward right now, um, how many men in the room have kept a diary at some point in your life? Just raise your hand. Okay. And then how many women in the room have kept a diary at some point in your life? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. And now put your hand down if, keep your hands up. Um, put your hands down if you, at this moment in your life, are no longer keeping a diary. Okay, right. I, I was so curious. To me, it's such a, a, a feminine thing because my mom is actually right there um, <laughs> and always has kept a diary and my father hasn't and they're both writers and I have. Um, and I wonder, do you think of it as a feminine 
hmm. thing? That's a good question. Well, I, I would I have saw to your husband actually raised his hand, so. Yeah. Yeah, well. <laughs> is it a feminine thing? Well, the problem with that question, the problem with the premise of that question is that I don't feel like a feminine thing. I just feel like a human thing. You know, like I feel like, I feel like not only just a human thing, but the default thing. So when I then have to you know, decide whether I'm feminine or like a different thing. It's it's really so confusing. I don't, right. Do you think of yourself as just the default thing when you're making work? Well, yeah, for sure. But I do. I mean, on diaries specifically, I think traditionally men have put their energies into no, stuff true. that yeah like is war and goes into money. the war. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, and and to put that much energy into something that no one will ever see yeah. um, is. It's um, yeah, it's a totally different relationship to like the ego and self, and um, and then also I wonder a little bit about whether this is a total leap, but um, whether women's internal monologues are stronger and louder and more articulated. I'm always curious because their external monologues are so. Just generally suppressed no. and dismissed. No, oh, no, no. So no there's not a that. big patriarchal okay. slant to that. Okay. I just right. always um, feel like I've got a running monologue, so it's just yeah. a little step further to write it down. You know, mm-hmm. um, is that true? That I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of a man. Well, well, my brain is 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 saying, well, just think of a man who makes work like Miranda. But there's no man or woman who <laughs> makes work like Miranda, so that's not a helpful. Um, that's not jogging my memory. For okay. I don't know. I, um, I, I can say for myself, my running monologue is so different from the way that it was when I started the diary. And it's, right. it's so visible in the diary. Um, and I don't know whether that has anything to do with... I don't know whether that's just a writing issue or whether it's like a, like a self-issue. But right. everything is shorter and everything is more compact um, in the diary now. And I guess in my writing now, too. And it's easy to kind of make the leap to, well, you know, you're so busy because you're a mom now. But um, I, I don't think that's... It, it's really not that simple. I mean, it's not, right. it's not just that that, that happened. <coughs> right. I thought, actually, that you stopped writing the diary when you got pregnant and started writing this book, but you actually just stopped being like obsessive about writing the diary. Yeah, I stopped being obsessive because I I had memory problems. I I had a, right. um, I uh, it became very clear to me that my working memory was no longer as 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 fast or as capacious as it had been. And you know, easy to just like tumble right down into like a, a, a physiological argument for that. You know, it's just hormones because everything that happens during pregnancy is just, oh, it's just like the beauty of hormones. It's like you know, like my, my arm falls off. It's hormones. <laughs> but um, for me, I, j- I just couldn't remember as well, and so it was no longer. It was just too frustrating to try to maintain the diary in right. that situation. Can you um, read? Page 53. I remember when we first met, we talked about, I think I told you how um, this experience that we were having that I hadn't found any good books on it. Um, And and I looked, you know, and I ordered a lot of um, really bad ones. uh, And... Um, and I didn't know at that time, actually, that you were writing the one that, that I wanted. Um, so that that page, yeah, 53 is, is a great well, one. Well, you kind of yeah. wrote 
the companion well, book. Well, at the same time, the down, the, down the street, yeah. I was also writing about motherhood. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in a way that, well, I'll read my page first. Yeah. Um, Nursing an infant creates so much lost, empty time. Of the baby's nighttime feeds, I remember nothing. Of his daytime feeds, I remember almost nothing. It was a different nothing from the unrecorded nothing of the years before. This new nothing was absent of subjective experience. I was either asleep or almost asleep at all times. Day and night consisted of the input and output of milk, often in an emergency, but the emergencies all resembled each other. At dawn, I noticed a pile of tiny damp blankets and tiny damp clothes on the nursery floor, but I never remembered replacing the green shirt with the yellow one. In my experience, nursing is waiting. The mother becomes the background against which the baby lives, becomes time. I used to exist against the continuity of time. Then I became the baby's continuity, a background of ongoing time for him to live against. I was the warmth and milk that was always there for him, the agent of comfort that was always there for him. My body, my life, became the landscape of my son's life. I am no longer merely a thing living in the world. I am a world. That's good. Um, And tell me just practically how you wrote this with a baby. Yeah. Yeah, well, I um, I wasn't ever really the sort of mom, like you know, mom to an infant who could like be cooking something and texting and nursing and all at the same time. I, and and the excuse that I give is that I had an enormous, fucking enormous baby. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, if you meet my husband, he's well. He's like a foot taller than I am, and I'm already tall. And uh, so, you know, I had big plans to just, you know, I'll just always be writing. And I mean, I, I had crazy plans for pregnancy, too. Like, oh, I'm not even going to get pregnancy clothes. I'm just going to, like, open my shirts. Like, nothing is going <laughs> to actually change. I'm going to just keep running and teaching. And and also, you know, oh, right, I'm going to get out one of those carriers and just carry the baby everywhere. Like, and, you know, be more Swedish about everything. And, <laughs> And it was a disaster. So I, I didn't actually simultaneously write and nurse ever. Right. So, um, but you did. I know you did. You told no, me. No, only like some voice memo stuff. I mean, you yeah. really can't, you know. Yeah. Uh, right. So you would take little breaks and. Yeah. Yeah. And write yeah, stuff. Yeah, that yeah. like 18 minute break between yeah. feedings. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Let's just get, you know. I remember wanting to know this stuff before I had yeah, a baby, and yeah. it's, it's good to disseminate that information. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> totally. Uh, so I think of you as someone who has very clear ideas about what is needed and what is not needed, and the and the beauty of your books is often how little is actually needed. Um, I'm just going to give an example. Uh, so on a lot of these pages, there's not that much writing. Like this page 36, that's all there is. And it just says, when I was 14, it was cloudy. On the night, I looked through a telescope at the comet. I'll see it when I'm 87, I thought, on the way home, not caring. <laughs> that's all. And I like how like 
it's all boring right up until not caring somehow that's the part that like explains exactly your understanding of time in that moment that like it's so far away it's you don't it's meaningless i'm so glad you yeah. like that page that's actually one of my favorite pages i'm very okay oh, i mean if you know if, if there are a few pages that i'm pleased with in the book that's that's one of them there's like four <laughs> um and actually, this in my mind, hopefully this is a compliment too, is sort of akin to um, Joan Didion's packing list. Are you familiar with? No, so no I've never seen Joan that. Didion, like in one of her books when she wrote when she was like younger than us, um, uh, <laughs> sad. Um, uh, <laughs> she writes like everything you need. You know, she'd be going on these trips to do, you know, be a uh, journalist and she'd write like the essential things you needed to bring and it's kind of a great document of that time too because it's like a skirt, a turtleneck you know, (laughs) one pair of nude stockings, you know, and um, and that reminds me of you a lot um, and it brings me to this question of how much of this is about control um, and I just want, like, in the in the kindest way, because I think anyone who has a vision and puts it into the world is inherently a controlling person, and I know I am, and I've definitely been accused of that. Um, and so I guess just, like, what does that conjure for you? Like, what's... Um, it's very... Like, the brevity that I obviously so love is also... shows an incredible amount of like control um, and then the whole topic itself I mean you're trying to like <laughs> record time which is so un, I mean more and more so especially as we age it's just in, you know incredibly yeah. out all, of control it's all falling apart yeah, yeah it's true um, that, that's an interesting question I've never been asked it before and I I'm going to kind of sidestep it because I don't I don't know but I something I can say for sure is that I've never been interested in in like writing the great work like writing a, a grand work or a great work I've only ever been interested in making something perfect you know so so that's 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 the goal <laughs> But in the way that I think of that, um, you know, a great or a grand work would be like an 800-page novel. A perfect work would be like half of a haiku, just absolutely perfect. And, and you know, I, I don't mean to kind of be goofy about it, but I um, that that's the only thing I want to do. I want to perfect a sentence. Um, Gary, The writer Gary Lutz has a wonderful um, sort of throwaway sentence in an essay of his about writing. It goes, I, I just wanted to make sentences that could not be improved upon. And that's uh, yeah that that that's fairly close to the reason that I that I do that I make that I put anything in writing. I just I know that I won't be able to control any you know even even an entire page full of like regular running text. It's it's like it's too overwhelming. Right. And um, and so this book this book doesn't have a single full page, um, and it doesn't have any proper names, and it doesn't you know it doesn't have a, a lot of other things that I eventually had to strip from it in order to to really maintain what I felt was some responsibility over what was left. <laughs> um, good. Uh, um, it's funny, okay, this is like the kind of thing I should have asked right at the beginning, but I'm remembering um, when I introduced you to um, 
it was actually Molly Ringwald. <laughs> um, and I introduced you as a poet, which was oh, silly of me. I know, I'm no, just no, no, no. horrifying I, you again. I've been like beating, beating myself up about this for the but, last You know, all weeks. I was doing, I think, was <laughs> trying to show off that I had read your poetry. Um, so I was like, had a deeper knowledge. And anyways, um, and you looked at me just horrified and you said I'm a memoirist no no um, I, I think I no you oh I think I said I'm a writer don't, well you know what you really did say I'm a memoirist, memoirist. oh god um, I, I see I which I only I bring up because you said in the when, in the Guardian I mean it's just you go insane a little bit yeah and then, we and all then it's going over insane. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true <laughs> I'm a new thing yeah. that's super interesting <laughs> um uh, she, by the way, already knew Sarah's work and was like really excited to meet wow. her. So, um, but I just read in the Guardian when they call you a memoirist, you say, "I don't love that word," um, <laughs> which made me feel a little better. I was oh, like, "Okay, yeah. there's there's really no way to win here." But I, so um, <laughs> not just me. Um, uh, although I totally get how poet is wrong, and I won't do that again. Oh um, God, no, no. So well, just writer, you, just writer. I, I think write, writer feels. Um, writer, f- yeah, writer, writer feels usable to me. But I have to say that, I, like, I've been at the end of that um, that experience where Molly Ringwald was. Uh, I thought, you know, fuck, I, I contradicted Miranda twice, like, and it was both like in, in an insanely un- unnecessary way. No, wait, I so there was the poet memoir <coughs> thing. And then I think I was telling Molly, like, oh, yeah, Miranda and I met, and our, our kids have the same birthday, which is not true. I was thinking of my, my friend Maggie, and, and our kids have the same birthday. And, but you didn't contradict me, and I was like, oh, fuck. And, it, and as soon as I said it, I was like, oh. But you, but you very, very gently just sort of let that go because, you know, it's kind of an interesting, maybe it was true. An interesting lie that, like, um, you know, kind of, I don't know, but kind of just hang there beautiful yeah. in the air um, yeah. um, okay. well I'm about to open it up to questions but I um, <clears throat> so you know as we're doing this whole last question you're basically just thinking of your questions um, uh, so <laughs> you you d- describe um, at a certain point on 69 how now you feel sort of like a a monolith. Page 69. Page 69. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> when you're in the 69 position, you feel like a monolith. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, <laughs> uh, oh, no, you're not. I read that in a no, jet lag. No, I said the word monolith right here. No, but you said from the point of view of a child... Uh, mother is a fixed entity. Okay, well that helps me because because um, I wanted to know um, how time has changed even since you wrote this book because my feeling is that life before a child you couldn't really answer that question within the span of a couple years but now with a child things um, are much more dynamic like your sense of um, even yourself and your ambitions against the backdrop of someone who's changing so quickly, not just ambitions, but like your own future, um, what's possible in your day, it is changes um, so quickly. So I just wondered, like, um, in the most sort of friend-to-friend way, uh, how 
how's time feeling now and like what are you looking towards and what's the speed of it and well I I, I have to hesitate because I I feel myself kind of barreling toward the kind of yoga answer of like I actually do spend less time just you know swimming and swimming around in nostalgia or like you know just like grasping for the next minute because um I mean, I have this terror. It's not terrible. It's 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 terrible in like the old-fashioned sense of the word, ter- terrifying um, sense that sense of that dynamism that like my my son is about to do something for the last time, and and like every moment of his life, he's going to pronounce a word, you know, adorably, perfect, imperfectly, and then th- the next minute he'll correct it and he'll never say it again. You know, all of these things sound very sentimental, but. As they accumulate, they, it really starts to weigh on you in this in this way that makes it impossible to not constantly be thinking about time, just barreling for like, am I surfing on it? Is it going around me? Is he? He's definitely in it because he's he. I don't know. I maybe it's that he is the the engine that's propelling the family forward in time, which is a metaphor he would love because he loves trains, you know, because he's three. Um, or maybe he'll continue loving trains. I don't, I don't know what's coming. I honestly don't. Um, and um, I guess, like, life is more interesting in a lot of ways. Um, the breadth of experience is definitely greater. The de- I, The depth of my relationship with time is... I don't want to say shallower, but it's just it's more it feels more dangerous than before. It feels so much less controllable, and I'm so much more um, willing to accept that. And and so that's my sort of yoga answer. Unfortunately, okay. I wish I you know I no no that's cool no. yeah. And any closing thoughts on mortality, and then we'll open it up yeah. for questions. Yeah. <laughs> well. Um, I think I actually think about my death less than I used to, which seems doesn't seem right. I'll have to consult my husband, but I think that's that's accurate. I think that's accurate. Do you think about right. your death more or less now? Now I only think about it in terms of um, I have to like keep logistics. his mom alive. Yes, yes. Right. I have that same thought. Yeah, because he can't be a kid without a mom. Yeah. That's so when I'm driving, I'm like, keep this don't mom. kill Hopper's mom. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, or, or anyone else's mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. So, All right. Um, All right. yes. Oh, wow. we were just talking yeah. about that upstairs. That's how we weren't very, that's very not nice how we were, experience. but just how. Yeah. About well, about how I was talking about how you were, and you know, we're doing that thing that women do, like yeah. round face, skinny face. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about like the act of writing the diary or keeping it like every, every time I've tried to keep a diary in my life it sounded like really exhausting it's yeah like, like, that's because you're really normal Sorry. no it's, that's because you're normal like you're, it's supposed to be that way I, I know serious writers who, who say that exact thing and they like you know churn out amazing books constantly well I think like it comes from this idea that like I'm secretly hoping someone will find it so I like want it to sound like great oh music. yeah that kills it yeah like, audience no yeah having an audience just changes everything yeah so 
I'm wondering like if either of you ever feel that way and if not like how do you negotiate the having of the audience which you do in a lot of your work and the not mm-hmm. um, should, I, should I do this work? do you want to do it? No, you can. yeah okay uh, well um, the work that I make for an audience is you know it, it's it's very pleasurable to control exactly what I divulge and and, 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 and the, you know the terms under which I divulge it. The diary, um, I really do always feel that I'm writing it for an audience of zero. So um, I, I totally understand what you're saying though. That's like not interesting enough. It's not, um, you know, it doesn't have like a narrative arc that's like, you know, it, it's not achieving momentum and and it, and you know continuing the moment, the momentum, and I'm I'm just not interested in the momentum at all. It's really just like the insane magnifying glass all over this day, and then the next day, and there there doesn't need to be any kind. Of, you you seem like a, you're interested in narrative, and that that's that's just not a thing. That's not that hasn't been, pardon or attention or attention. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Narrative doesn't interest me, and um, and I don't think anyone will ever re- read the diary. But of course, people have read the diary, so that complicates it. Boyfriends, yeah, yeah. Boyfriend, yeah, bad boyfriends. <laughs> yes. Can, can you talk about the? You, you mentioned that you paired away mm-hmm. uh, names. Uh, can you talk about that? About oh uh, yeah. Deciding what. To Goes and stays. Yeah. Well, hello. Um, uh, what goes and stays? Well, at, at, the book started at about uh, twenty thousand words, and then when I sold it, my editor was, was like, "Oh, you can definitely get it up to like 30. And I was like, "Sure." Next draft, ten thousand words. <laughs> and um, I just did an event with my editor in San Francisco, and, and he he sort of like asked me all the like very kind of tentatively and politely asked me like, you know, what what? How did that all? How, did that, how was that all the thing? It turned out fine. He accepted the 10,000-word book. But as I was revising the longer draft, I realized that I, I was just... Um, you know, when you're revising a book that's that short, you can just read it every day, like a couple times. And as I read it, I would just feel very overstimulated by this. There's there's a painting in the book that, that I name. You know, I named the painter, and I describe the circumstances of the painting. And it was just so vivid among a lot of other language. It was more rhetorical and abstract. And it's like, mm. And there was the name of a horse. And it was the only horse in the book. And then there was the name of a cathedral. It was the only cathedral. And then there was the name of a writer. And it was the only name of a writer. And, and, um, and you know, the name of the comet and so on. There were, you know, maybe like six other proper names. And they were just... They were too loud, and so they had to go. And and then that kept happening with other categories of rhetoric. I can't remember exactly, um, but you know, it's like um, the word "that" became started becoming a problem. Like I, all I could hear was like that, 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 that. It just sounded like this syncopation of that interspersed with other words. <laughs> and so um, and so things fell away until I felt there was a there, there's a book right in my line of vision. It's called Comets. On there, um, um, but when it, when the when it got to the point where I couldn't, I didn't feel overstimulated or distracted by things anymore. Then I could, I could, you know, give it away and share it. Yeah. Any more questions? You know, Miranda July is here. No. Yeah. Somebody who um, loves words mm-hmm. and words diary is so important. Words, language, language. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, 
curious about your experience of living with somebody who has an Oh, the preverbal person. Yeah. Well, that's actually a, a huge. I mean, if there can be plot, if if I can say that there are plot points in this book, that that's like the plot point of the book that you've just totally happened upon. Um, I uh, the thing that happened whilst spending all my time with a preverbal person is that my preverbal memories started welling up. And up until that point, I would have thought, you know, I, I knew people who said, like, oh, I remember when I was a baby, I went hiking with my father in the rainforest. And I was just, that's, it's too perfect. It's too beautiful. I can't, no, that, that you're just saying that. But... Sure enough, uh, I was feeding my son with a little spoon. And when you're feeding somebody who doesn't know how to eat, who only knows how to nurse, it's just very time-consuming. You know, keep the food in the mouth, move it to the back of the mouth. And so, you know, you feed, and the food comes out, and you kind of scra- scrape it up and put it back in. <coughs> and as I was doing that for the first or second time, I had this incredibly vivid sense memory of food dripping down my chin and somebody scraping it up and putting it back in my mouth, at which point it was, like, pre-tasted and diluted with saliva and enzymes. I mean, and it was gross. And I just remember, and none of the, you know, the word gross or saliva weren't part of the memory, but the sense memory was so vivid that it was almost like my brain was giving me instructions on how to relate to this nonverbal person. There were tons of those. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually curious about, about what made you ask that question. Um, well, I work with infants. Oh. And I teach a, a course called Infant Observation. Oh, wow. Which is out of England. It's a method for psychoanalysts. Uh-huh. And we said... Do you know about this? Just to observe. Yeah. In vivo, a baby. Yeah. And your family. For an hour. Wow. That's all you do. You can't intervene. You mm-hmm. can't make suggestions. And, and you'll often be watching the baby sleep. Yeah, yeah. And I'm always curious what gets evoked in people and what kind of language starts getting set up between mm. the baby, a nonverbal person, and a verbal person. Because there is a lexicon that exists. Yeah, yeah. That is fascinating. I'm glad you I, shared that. I saw that you wrote about that in the book, yeah. But I wonder as, as a writer what it's like to be with somebody who doesn't. Doesn't revere the word yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's deeply instructive, is the answer. Yeah. Thank you. Uh huh. Can I ask a question? Yes, somebody has to. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was just floored by, um, uh, by some lines in, in one of your movies about where the cat is t- talking about the story. And, it, and the cat says um, that my owners were out of town and for too long and something happened. I died. And it was just too long. And that shows a, a, like a difference between cat time and people time. wonder if you could say something about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I did think a lot about 
I mean, it's a, this is a movie called The Future, and it is a lot about time, mostly human time, but it is narrated by a cat, so I tried to get cat time right, which is obviously just an interpretation. I remember, because I do the voice for that cat, I remember, um, since he's waiting for the whole movie, um, so he is experiencing time, but he experiences it as now, now. Now, <laughs> now, and that I was like happy that now was like a meow sound, and that that it could kind of give a sense of like he's trying to figure time out, but it's just perpetual now. Um, uh, and then yeah, that um, that it just might be too long. Yeah, you might um, very matter of factly. Um, <clears throat> Wait, wait too long, and and they never come, and you die. Yeah, and I wrote that in a million different ways. Uh, um, but it seemed like if you're gonna write a movie about time, you have to write about what's supposed to be the end of time f for all of us. And then I tried to keep on going. I mean, that seemed like the ballsiest thing I was writing in it for, for me was like to be writing from the afterlife. Um, one final monologue from that cat. Uh, uh, yeah, and that was the last that thing I did for that movie and <laughs> wiped me out. Yeah. Um, but thank you for remembering that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Oh okay. So grand wonder in the sense of like wondering whether something will happen, <coughs> right? Well, that was sort of the that that did kind of overhang all experience before it. The, the question, so the the passage in the book that she's um, pointing toward is the one in which I say one of the great comforts of my life is that I no longer have to worry about whether I should have children. And and um, and that really is how it feels. It's not like uh, and and also dot dot dot. You know, I'm, I'm glad I I'm embarked upon that and so on. But. Um, no, I don't. I don't. Yeah, that was that was that was a big one. I did also um, be, be, become married, and that was that was another one. Like, oh, okay, I don't have to worry about whether I should get married because I already did. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily recommend this as a solution to other things, whether you wonder you should do. But um, it's very art. This generation, though, that you spend so much of your adult life wondering if you're going to have a child. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just interesting that there's all these w w women who have all all these other pieces of their life together and have been an adult for a long time. Um, and so I think, I mean, my experience is, no, once you're done with that question, you can kind of move on. Like, it, like that kind of wondering is not that great. Uh, I mean, the wondering if I'm going to have a child, like it's, um, and you can kind of just 
you know, move on and not have to have this big curtain of like before and after and those who do and don't. Yeah, it's like this yeah. great divide. Yeah, a relief. Would you say that it's, it's it feels like a relief? As you wrote, yes. All right, yeah. good. Then I think we're done now. <laughs> Another question, yes. Oh, pages that I love. Oh, God. Okay, yes. I'll share with you a page that I love. Um, I, uh, I sent the book to a friend of mine who's an academic, and, um, and he wrote back that this, this page gave him the giggles, which made me very happy because he's 65, and, you know, his tenure at Princeton. And, um, uh, maybe I'll have to explain why he got the giggles. But um, hypergraphia, the overwhelming urge to write, graphomania, the obsessive impulse to write. Look up the famous cases if you're interested. Nothing about them ever helped me with my problem. And then that's it. And he said, oh, it's so funny because if you were an academic, that would have been like a 30-page thing about like why it's important to, you know. So, <laughs> so yeah, Thank, thanks for <laughs> letting me read that to you. <laughs> So I'm curious of how, uh, if it's the act of getting pregnant or it's like the process of being pregnant that led you to kind of think about time in this sort of different way or... Yeah, that was, that was one of the two, um, it was one of the sort of the two plot points that changed the way I thought about time. Uh, I became pregnant. My memory became impaired. My memory, that, that was this thing, this like monolithic thing that I could always count on and had used so totally in everything I've ever made, no longer worked. That was the first thing. The second thing that happened was um, after I started spending time with this pre-verbal creature, uh, all of these old memories that I had assumed were gone because I hadn't recorded them right uh hadn't written them down um memories of very early childhood started welling up and i realized that the, the, this what it, the, the ways that i had been thinking about my memory as necessary and not necessary were were not not accurate at all so it was a combination of those two things that changed the way that i had to think about time oh sure did you feel like you your memories in <laughs> Do you, you're wondering if you need to worry about this memory <laughs> impairment thing. <laughs> um, I do remember I wrote the first draft of my novel um, when I was pregnant, and I remember people saying, "Oh, that's going to be great because it's just such a creative time." And I was like, "Okay, right, because I'm creating yeah. <laughs> something, and so it's just all so creative." And then I was like, "No." it's actually not the same thing at all. Um, like, writing is pretty intellectual. Um, and, and, like, all my blood was down here. And I, it, was, it was the worst part of the process. I mean, maybe it would have been anyways, the first draft of a first novel. And, um, but uh, it, was, it was the one time in my life where I really had to do the, like, page a day, like, just, like, robot write, you know, like just be super dumb about it and like it doesn't matter if it's good or bad, just write the page, punch the clock. Like I couldn't be like this incandescent glowing creator of a baby and a book, you know, and that all came later actually once it once I got it out. Um, <laughs> um, and then I and I also feel, remember feeling not 
I didn't feel that things that strongly, which was actually wonderful. I think of it as the happiest time in my life. I was just sort of content, like um, like friends would remark on it. They, I think they preferred it. They were like, God, you're just so like relaxing to be around compared to usual. And uh, you're just kind of sitting there fatly, like giggling a little at things people say. And um, yeah, and that's kind of how it was. But it um, but I remember thinking, like, uh-oh, for this book, because don't you need to have, like, some strong feelings, you know, to, like... But those came. Those came. Yeah, after it got out, yeah. The baby, yeah. <laughs> I was um, really interested by your comment that your editor said, can you add 10,000 words if you took 10,000 words away? Um, and neither of you, like, write the I haven't. I, I've just been very lucky to work with extremely sympathetic editors, and um, you know, I mean, I, I think they knew what they were getting into. Like, like if, <laughs> right? I mean, if somebody wanted to, like a four hundred, like not four hundred page novel about the Persian Wars or something, like, like they they could tell me to write it, but like they would get back a five thousand word poem or something. Like, it's just not whatever whatever system is like taking in the instruction it's like something happens I don't know um, so I mean I can say yeah my, my editors have been very sweet about it um, especially Ethan Azowski who edited this book um, and allowed me to basically give him something one third the length of what he originally you know what he, what, what he thought we agreed upon <laughs> sort of casually um I'm trying to think honestly. I actually can think of an example because it was sort of recent. Um, wasn't that big a deal, but maybe it'll be useful if you're a writer. I wrote a piece for Vogue. Um, they have a memoir sort of section, and um, and I spoke with the editor before, and she sent some PDFs of like other examples of people who had written um, the memoir things, which I didn't read. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's the first mistake there. Um, and But we talked on the phone, and she said, y- you know, I think you get the idea, right? Don't just like so fall into the time that you're writing about that suddenly you're writing like as if you're in eighth grade, you know, and I was like, <laughs> don't worry, I'm not going to like forget how old I am, you know. Um, uh, and we chuckled and um, <clears throat> and then I banged it out and I'm really proud, like I've written some, uh, a few pieces for the New Yorker and I'm always really proud of how I just bang them out, hand them in, they're like great. And I banged it out, and I remember saying to my husband, like, I'm really, I don't do this that often, because no one wants this that often, but when I do get the opportunity, I really just, I nail it on the first go, and I turned it in, and I just got an email, like, can you call me? Um, (laughs) And and she, I more or less had done exactly the thing that she had said not to do, Um, and uh, 
And then I realized, oh, that thing you're talking about where you get so caught up in the time that you're writing in the voice of, that's fiction. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what you do. That's my job. You know, like you um, put the feeling in, but, you know, what she wanted, and it's perfectly fine, was some reflection from the present day, you know, more of my present day self. Um, and I went back and read all the PDFs and they all had that. Um, <laughs> and I was, yeah. And I had to start, really kind of almost start from scratch. Yeah. I was, yeah. And, and then it ended up taking like four months. Like I just couldn't do it. The original thing I wrote in like a day. And then I just like struggled for four. Everyone was like, she's not going to get it done in time. It's not going to help support the book. My editor was writing. Said that. Yeah. Total nightmare. It's fine now. Yeah, it's all worked out. That is, I just have to say, that is so comforting to me because I had the same experience with the same editor and the same oh. call me email. Oh. And it was like, it, I think she, but she knew, like, it didn't stretch on for four months. She's like, is, this isn't going to work. Let's just get in touch in a year. Oh. So, so, but that probably is like a very intelligent editor who knew. I that, ended up really liking her. Like, I. Yeah. Like at the end, she, like she would say, smart. yeah, something about like her son, and I'd be like, we're talking about our kids. Uh, this has gone outside of the work. We're friends. Um, yeah, so complete respect there. I just, I all the more wanted to please her. Yeah. Okay. A lot of. Um, so one last question, right? This is about to be the like pull them off of all the right. hook okay. time. Um, uh, yes. Can you go talk a little bit about what you're reading right now? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I tend to find something I like and then read it like eight times in a row. So what I'm doing with that now is um, I'm doing that with uh, Virginia Woolf's five autobiographical essays that are collected together and uh, Sarah Rule's essay collection. And um, what else am I reading? God, my husband's disappeared. I, I don't. What am I reading? What what am I? What have I been talking about incessantly? What am I reading? Yeah. Oh right. Well, yeah, Elena Ferrante. But like everyone's reading Elena, oh, so yeah. I wanted to make it. Is she a, a man? Oh. Okay. Gosh. Never mind. Let's just go. <laughs> She's not. Okay, that's great. I've been. I've, I've paused Darcy on knows. buying it yeah. because. Oh, really? Have sure. you not started reading? I yet? haven't. St I was about to when everyone else was, and then mm. I was like, oh, it's actually a man, which is fine. I read lots of books by men, but I wanted to know. I'm pretty... Uh, yeah, yeah, I said that one. Okay, thank you. All right. Um, now, Ferrante actually is as great as everybody says, so you, you, it's okay. okay to read her. Okay. I, I, I needed somebody to tell me that. It, yeah. was, it was Sheila, actually. So. Yeah, me yeah. too. Um, what are you reading? Yeah, um... I actually just read, um, I just got back from Paris at four today, um, and uh, I was reading this um, new Dorothy Ionon, is that how you say Ionon you know. um, book? She's an artist. She um, uh, was the partner of the artist Dieter Roth for a long time, um, and they probably have her new book over at the Arts Annex. Um, she's still alive. She was kind of rediscovered um, and as like a 
you know, like a predecessor to like many feminist uh, artists, writers who use both graphics and text, although she's really more of a um, an artist. Uh, and she tells one of the funnest things to read is, especially if you've been a longtime fan of this artist, Dieter Roth, the story of them meeting um, in Iceland and falling in love instantly. And it's a real, just like really good love story, but it's, she's also totally bizarre and kind of like um, in her drawing, she's always drawing like the genitals on the outside of the clothes, you know, and they're always like very swollen and, um, and she's just great. Uh, and I read that. That's kind of mixed in with Paris um, for me, like this. this uh, yeah, it, it helped. I wasn't like doing all the wild things she was, <laughs> um, but I felt, you know, uh, like I didn't have to. So I recommend that. <clears throat> Go get it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This is. Yes, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Miranda. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.